Hello, welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, female friendship and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Sophie McIntosh. Sophie is a writer from Wales, currently based in London. She's the author of three novels, The Water Cure, Blue Ticket and Cursed Bread. The Water Cure was longlisted for the Man Booker Prize and Cursed Bread was longlisted for the Women's Prize this year. Thank you so much, Sophie, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's get started. Which three guests are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party? So I would invite over Annie Inno, Miri Gatskill and Michaela Cole. So why those guests? I, I've heard of Mary Gatskill because in our last year we did um, one of her books for our monthly book and obviously Michaela Cole is a kind of icon um, and her show We May Destroy You is brilliant um but why those three and I, I I'm afraid I haven't heard of Annie Erno so please do educate me well, I've picked these three based on the kind of representations of um desire but also in Michaela's case as well like um and in Annie's two and in Mary's two uh, kind of not just desire as like something simple but about you know assault um and about like the aftermath and kind of also like especially with Mary Gatskill's kind of like the gray areas too so I guess thinking about people who are kind of um writing about and portraying um these things which are really really difficult but also like we need to talk about them and also I feel like they're doing them in um really interesting ways so Annie you know as like a memoirist um kind of taking as her material her own life and writing about um things like a really passionate affair like an obsessive affair um but also about like abortion about kind of her life as a young working class woman in France mm -hmm. and really like drawing on that and like writing with such a sort of forensic honesty um I just find her work really inspiring um she just won a Nobel Prize the Nobel Prize um and then yeah Mary Gatskill and her short stories Bad Behaviour just in Bad Behaviour specifically and kind of exploring uh like all these kind of power dynamics and um you know kind of um, submission and domination and these sort of gray areas and I don't know I, I feel like there's no one who's better on um these kind of very um like these very sharp observations about what it means to desire and be desired and how messy that can be and then yeah Michaela Cole obviously with um I May Destroy You it was like one of my favorite things that I've ever seen on television and um you know exploring about sexual assault but also so much more and the kind of gray areas around desire too and um I think with all of them um they kind of it wasn't just the subject but the way they do it um feels really exciting to me too um like Michaela especially kind of how do we kind of uh portray these almost like unspeakable things and trauma in a way that is you know how to get it on the screen in a way that feels like um really really um yeah basically how do we how do we sort of say like unsayable things and like portray them in like a tv show or in a novel um I, I think all three of them are really good at like grappling with those things I mean also with Michaela Cole and kind of it 
sometimes humorous way as well like very yeah. relatable humorous yeah way. totally I just realized all that sounded like really heavy but it's like it's just, yeah. it's really, it's be like heavy it's just kind of um yeah these things which are so much like fabric of life and like wanting and um yeah but how, you know these things that really need to be talked about and how do we do it in ways that just um feel like really fresh and um really sort of yeah exciting do you think that the three of them would get on yeah I think so I think I think so I feel I I'm sort of I feel like I'm maybe slightly um slightly intimidated by Mary Gatskill <laughs> I mean, you know intimidated by all of them <laughs> but um I think they would all I'm sure they would all get on <laughs> yeah, I, I agree I think they, it would be kind of a very kind of discussion heavy it's kind of a selfish dinner party where I'm like I just want to like listen to them all talk and <laughs> learn from them like I haven't really thought about like ever getting on I'm just like hey like I'm obsessed with you <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's a running theme across all of our podcast episodes is normally people that people just want to talk to and learn from <laughs> and that they'll just kind of be silent listening to like their favorite author or their favorite actress or something like that so um yeah and 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 what tunes are going to be on repeat all evening okay so i've picked um one by charlotte digeri ceci n'est pas un cliche which is a real banger i've picked andromeda by vase blood um which is like more of a kind of dreamy sort of epic pop one and then i've got padam padam by kylie Minogue, which i'm like literally obsessed with and nice. i'm listening to it about 20 times a day maybe <laughs> more <laughs> <laughs> that's a good I feel like I can see the trajectory of your dinner party as you go through your your music yeah so, I can, yeah I can like start with some start with some bangers and like maybe move into more sort of contemplative and then maybe like back to the bangers or kind of bangers which are also um quite like moody <laughs> um, just something like something fun I, I don't want people to kind of be falling asleep and getting drunk and like waddling I'm like I want everyone to be wanting to sort of get up and have a little a little dance at the end mm. And, and where's the dinner party going to be hosted? So I would host it in my kitchen. So my I, my kitchen is at my favourite place and I really like having dinner parties. I know it's quite boring, quite boring answer, um, but I've got like a nice little garden. Well, it's going to be nice one day. Right now it's kind of full of, full of stuff, <laughs> but <laughs> still like quite nice to sit outside and you can like open the doors. Mm. Um, I actually recently uh got my friend Marlo Granados who is a um an author um as well and wrote an amazing book called um Happy Hour um she I commissioned her to paint a still life of my dinner table and that was like my kind of little present to myself um and um so it makes me really happy to like cook for my friends a lot mm -hmm. and yeah so to have it in there even though it's quite like a boring choice it's like I'd rather have it there than anywhere else I don't think that's boring I think it's yeah so it's, it's where you're comfortable and, and kind of pride in your home and that kind of thing I mean it's like it's quite it's quite small but everyone can sort of fit in got like, <laughs> like Ikea sort of folding folding chairs <laughs> for like, <laughs> well, you might have to eat on your lap but it's fine <laughs> um and what's first is it drinks first 
yeah so I um I have one of my favorite things is like super impractical but actually I've used it so much is that I've got an ice cream machine like a proper one um mm. and I've discovered you can kind of freeze anything in it and it's like in fact it's like kind of one, one of my favorite kitchen games is like what can I freeze and I realized at a party that you could just pour a bottle of Prosecco and some Aperol and you can make Aperol spritz slushies um, so I would have them to kick off because they're yeah really low, low effort but high reward <laughs> Amazing. Keep like adding more prosecco. Um, yeah, so to begin, and I've also like I live really close to a really nice wine shop called Gnarly Vines in Walthamstow, and I go in there so much it's like a bit embarrassing. So probably have some wine from there as well. (laughs) I want to buy an ice cream machine just so that I can make apple spritz flashies now. (laughs) Sounds incredible. That means you can make anything like a frozen margarita. Yeah, frozen margarita, like any, any anything, anything you want to freeze. Um, like, I mean, I do, I do actually make ice cream in it as well, but you can just put yogurt in it and freeze the yogurt. You can, I think I've frozen like milk. I think I've just frozen like actual cream on something. Like, will it make ice cream? And it actually kind of does. Um, yeah, if, if frozen beer, I think I've tried. <laughs> I just saw a YouTube, a TikTok channel that's like, what can I freeze? Oh my God, you should. That was, that was, I think that would do pretty well as well. <laughs> how, how delicious could it be? <laughs> um, so everyone's got a drink, either a slushy or a glass of wine. Um, what are you uh, serving for your starter? Um, so I think I go quite easy because I kind of, I, I, I'm quite like a low effort cooking. I don't love like, I mean, I like spending quite a lot of it, but um. I think it's easier when you've got people around sometimes just to keep it a bit more easy, especially because the weather's so hot right now. So mm-hmm. I think I start with like burrata with peaches and basil because you literally just have to cut up some peaches and shred some basil and put a burrata or two on it. And it just, it looks amazing and it tastes amazing. And it's like done in a minute. Um, probably have some like crisps as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for main, I go in with seafood pasta, which actually, this is sort of cheating because I don't ever make seafood pasta, but I'm just thinking of, have you ever been to Chow Bella? Yes, 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 yes. Like the seafood pasta that comes in a paper bag. <laughs> I would sort of somehow magically recreate that. So like it comes in a paper bag and then you, they rip the bag and all the all the like seafood is like steamed in it and then it's sort of like fall, falls over. Delicious. And what kind of, is it spaghetti? Yeah, spaghetti. And you can have white wine or tomato sauce and I normally go for the white wine mm. one. It's really, what, really good. What's the seafood on offer? So like mussels and like prawns and squid and maybe that's it but it's it's so good and or maybe little cla- little clams as well mm-hmm. yeah but lots of parsley and the white wine it's just yeah it's so delicious I feel like every time I go there I'm not actually getting different but then I, I can't <laughs> <laughs> it's also a bit of a spectacle because you're kind of presenting it in a I don't know in a fun different way yeah totally I'd have to figure out how to do the, the paper bag but you know it's fun <laughs> fine and it's quite like it's quite a fun little uh flourish as well like one of my other things I really like to make is this Nigella Lawson orzo chicken and it's like so easy to make you literally just put the chicken in with vegetables and you put in some orzo and then but it look it feel it looks like really impressive but it tastes really impressive so things like that where it's just yeah you, you kind of um yeah really high reward <laughs> high reward for like low effort yeah the best for dinner parties because it means you can enjoy the time yeah but actually my dessert is not high reward and no effort it's like high effort but really high reward <laughs> it's like one of the first desserts I actually learned to make so I didn't kind of start cooking until probably quite far into my 20s and I, I, I kind of can't remember where I read this recipe but it's definitely um it was, it was on like the 
David Lebovitz's blog, he used to um, work at Chez Panisse. Chez Panisse? I'm sorry, I can't, my brain is like totally gone to <laughs> 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 Chez Panisse. Um, and I just remember reading about it and thinking it sounded incredible. And it basically, it's quite like a fiddly pastry that you have to make by hand. And you have to do like a lot of sort of chilling and then like bringing it to room temperature and smushing it into the case and then like chilling again and then like blind baking. And then you make this, sort of custard filling as a custard it's literally it's pretty much um cream boiled with almonds and amaretto and then you mix in uh flaked almonds and you sort of um create this like lovely filling and then you pour it into this pastry that you've been battling with for like three hours and then you like bake it very carefully and it sounds like so much effort but it's amazing it's kind of it's kind of almost like eating like some sort of toffee almond shortbread thing and it's, it's like it's quite hard to cut it's really sticky um and i would yeah, have that with some clotted cream oh my gosh delicious yeah. i honestly recommend it to everyone i think everyone i've sent the recipe to you they're like this is a sort of life-ruining dessert <laughs> like because just nothing nothing tastes as good <laughs> oh, that's such a good dinner party that's like a showstopper dessert <laughs> i kind of want to i kind of want to do it now and <laughs> <laughs> um, and are you drinking anything else Oh yeah, so you'd have some wine with the meal and then I went to Naples a few weeks ago and I brought back some limoncello. So I think a little bit of limoncello is always quite a nice way to finish it off. Mm. Oh, actually, I really like this cocktail as well um, called a Naked and Famous, which are quite nice to finish off with. They're quite um, refreshing. It's like Aperol, lime juice and chartreuse. And it sounds really weird. Um, but once you've kind of mixed it all up with loads of ice, it's like, it's kind of almost tastes like a... It's quite a good one to have with apple spritz, especially because it kind of tastes like a slightly more grown-up apple spritz. Mm, delicious. Mm. Um, so everyone's eaten, everyone's full. Where's the evening going? Um, so I suppose I was spending a bit more time outside. I've got lots of candles lit. Um, the padam padam is now playing. <laughs> I'm like, <Not> Leon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think maybe like staying up really late I kind of I, I love it when people stay until like two or three um I guess like back back in the days when I was a bit younger it was usually either be really tempted to like go out somewhere maybe um go to a club or something but or to onto a party I feel like now I'm just like really happy to stay in the kitchen and like keep, play, keep playing tunes and like let people like start playing their own tunes and um chatting for ages and ages and ages um yeah like cooking for my friends is really important to me and it's like it's so nice to be like asked to do the podcast because it's like you know it's, it's kind of been it's a massive massive thing in my life mm. I feel like I've, you know I've had so many really good evenings and kind of life-affirming times with my friends mm. with my friends Nia um her sort of party trick at things when she kind of gets drunk enough is to like run upstairs and sort of write start writing everyone little like love notes and little poems and come back and sort of like mm. hand them out. <laughs> maybe maybe we get to that stage <laughs> that's so sweet would you would you prefer if your evening ended like that yeah maybe yeah. <laughs> I, also kind of, I do kind of love the idea of being in bed like not like not super late maybe like two with like a big yeah. glass a glass of water <laughs> um and I mean you said that like female friendships and dinner parties and expressing love through cooking is really important to you. Do you feel that that comes across in your writing and your novels? 
Mm, that's a really interesting one. I think, I mean, I love writing about food and kind of the textures of food in the novels, but I feel like there's not, um, especially like when my first book, The Water Cure, is lots of like tinned food and mm. stuff that's like rotting their teeth. Like food isn't really a site of like um, love or affection there. Maybe it's more so when cursed bread is literally, you know, there's so much baking in it. Well, there's, there's, there's so much bread in it, but it's still kind of, it's like a site of dailiness um, and almost like a site of power rather than affection. Um, so yeah, it's almost like the food in my books almost has a bit of like more of a malevolent edge, like more of like a sort of slightly rotten feel to it, which doesn't really, yeah. <laughs> so it's, an, it's, it's funny like that. It is such an important place for me in my life to be cooking for people I love but then um it's slightly functions slightly differently in my novels but I guess like that's kind of testament to how big a space like food can be and how it can be kind of a site of power as well as like a site of love mm -hmm. and what first inspired you to start writing become an author did you always want to be an author or was it something that kind of became clear as you got older I was always really drawn to reading and I was always really drawn to um, kind of writing poetry, writing short stories um, as a teenager. And then I went to do English at university. Um, I did English with creative writing. Um, so there was a bit more kind of scope to start um, writing a bit more and to kind of learn more about the process. So like from quite an early age, it, it was something that I really loved doing and um, just something I found really fun. and enjoyed essentially <laughs> and then as I kind of did a bit more I was like oh like maybe there's like sort of something in here like I kind of had the idea of writing a book um and kind of started working towards that mm. I mean your writing has been described as kind of having musicality on on a technical level who's influenced the way that you write mm, oh, so many um I'd say Angela Carter is always a big kind of influence that I return to and probably like quite an early one as well um you know she's kind of her work is so incredibly um quite like lavish and gothic and um you know it was really exciting to me reading the magic toy shop when i was um kind of in my late teens mm -hmm. and thinking about those kind of things but before, before that i was kind of more um slightly obsessively into like a kind of contemporary fiction and reading like a lot of Brett Easton Ellis and stuff who you know i still still think it's good um but angela carter was like oh there's kind of these more, I don't know, different, different, different modes. Angela Carter was actually so, so much on my, on my, on my, on my shortlist list. It's really hard to pick just three. <laughs> um, but yeah, as a kind of, I guess, the funny thing is, like, as I get older, you kind of you find yourself having new influences all the time, and that's you know really, really fun and exciting too to kind of be discovering authors, like some of who are contemporaries and some who are not, but like kind of discovering new writing all the time that makes you think differently about it like so I've got really into this author called Javier Marias um, who's a Spanish language author was a Spanish language author he died last year in the last few years and um, you know I, I feel like I'm discovering um, new authors all the time like Kate Zambruno um, who kind of writes more autofiction auto and um, yeah just like people who are kind of uh, inspiring me in different ways as I get older <laughs> I mean so you clearly read a lot as well as kind of write how, how does your relationship with reading affect the fact that you're a novelist are you kind of still as much of a bookworm as you were when you were little or 
do you read less or more? I think I read, uh, maybe I read, I mean, I read so much as a child, but I think I probably read a bit less now just because of time, but I'm also, you know, reading constantly. I think it's just one of those things where I'm reading, because I'm sent a lot of books as well, and there's always something to read and so many of them are amazing. And I mean, there's, sometimes I get overwhelmed by the idea of how many books there actually are. And I kind of, you know, read books for research. I read books just because they sound interesting. I guess I've kind of figured out a way that writing is just kind of what I do and uh, reading is what I do in sort of little moments. So like, you know, when I'm on the tube or if I'm taking like a little break, um, like I subscribe to The New Yorker, which is like sort of a bit cheesy for a writer, but it's like, nice for kind of keeping up to date with contemporary fiction and stuff I kind of my little stab at like keeping on top of that um so yeah I do kind of read a lot and it's it is like really important for me I think once I've times I felt like really disconnected from my work um or from writing generally have been times where I haven't been reading very much because I haven't had time or I haven't really had this sounds really silly but like not kind of a, a space to read even like sometimes it, it's kind of just about making the actual act of reading like attractive like oh I'm gonna sit on my sofa for like half an hour <laughs> or I'll lie in the bath I actually got so much reading done in the bath but my tap in the bath is like broken so I haven't had a bath for like a couple of months while I kind of get around to fixing it and then it's like hey I actually haven't read as much which sounds like really yeah. simple it just kind of makes you think about like how much of um our like daily stuff and habits is like routine and once that kind of routine is taken out it's like oh okay I, I'm kind of doing a bit less of that <laughs> I mean what do you want people to take away most from your writing and your and your books like what's your aim when you put pen to paper um I think I want them to feel like very absorbed I want I want them to be kind of having a experience like a very visceral experience of the writing I want them to kind of feel a bit disoriented I want it to be beautiful for them I don't know I always feel like this question I'm, I'm, I'm my answers feel like very unworthy <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know I, I kind of you know for me writing is like a sensory and aesthetic thing as well I, I want people to kind of to, to feel seen and to feel excited and to feel moved and yeah so many things I think you know it's like when I have a really amazing writing experience and I just feel really moved really excited really sort of fired up um you know like I feel like very tuned into like possibility and excited about the world and I, I kind of want people to feel like that when they read my stuff I guess <laughs> yeah that makes sense I, I mean so your novel Curse Bread as we've um mentioned briefly was obviously long listed for the women's prize for fiction this year um and the Guardian called the novel uh, a, a quietly rich maturation of your skill set in a semi-rural post-war French town what particularly inspired you to write Curse Bread? So I had read about the true story behind it because it's based on it's based on a true story um, about a town in France that suffered a kind of mass poisoning in 1951 and I read about this event and thought you know it was so interesting and over the years I just kind of kept returning to it and I'd never written a historical book before um, so I was like oh, okay this is sort of a bit of a new thing but I kept returning to the story and more than kind of returning to the story I was thinking about another story around it and the kind of potential to not just do a retelling of the thing but um, using like a true event as like a launch pad and I just yeah it was sort of in my head for a few years as I worked on other books and I just kept coming back to it and 
yeah sort of eventually started writing it but um had like a couple of false starts because I wasn't quite sure how to sort of what voice to position it in I always knew like it would be based around a mysterious ambassador and his wife and the bread because I mean the bread is kind of at the heart of the novel like the poisoning they think was caused by um poisoned bread but there's a few other theories which is where the ambassador came from there's one theory that I kind of ran with um that it was part of a kind of CIA mind control experiment which you know obviously is quite like an outlandish idea but that kind of really got to me and I was like well what if I can kind of combine the two um and so from there it kind of as I was trying to figure out what was like the story to tell um it evolved into the story of the baker's wife who's kind of unfulfilled and she finds um a sort of quite toxic friendship and fulfillment with um the ambassador and the ambassador's wife and yeah it kind of went from there <laughs> so i mean it was kind of came out of almost like a hyper focus on a, on a historical story yeah completely um you know and like the story itself is so interesting as well and I think at first I was like maybe I should just sort of retell it but then it was more like what was actually drawing me to the story I mean there's also kind of the ethical point of like I, I didn't live through that story you know it's a tragic event um like for retelling it probably better as like a non-fiction and I you know something kind of really exhaustively researched but as a kind of uh stepping off point of like not about the town itself necessarily, but about you know what happens when a small town suffers a kind of mass event like this. What happens when your reality is turned upside down? It happens just after the Second World War, so you know like how does that fit in with like the trauma of the war and repercussions from that? Um, you know, even just things like like things we can really relate to now, like what does it mean to want? Like what does it mean to for your life to not be what you want? And how kind of far will you go? um to have some excitement and to kind of I don't know take the sort of the life that you feel should be should be yours how do you feel your writing and experience as an author has been shaped by the patriarchy and gender roles and and your identity as a young woman um I guess yeah writing the water cure definitely was like kind of engaging with that quite specifically um because yeah I was writing it in like 2016 and I guess like the kind of the the quick elevator pitch sort of it is kind of like what if toxic masculinity is literal you know there's like a um an illness that is only affecting women and um you know it's a family of three girls on an island who've never seen men before so like it's kind of um those are obviously kind of preoccupations shaped a lot by the patriarchy um and blue ticket as well because it's kind of so much about um reproductive choice but also more about kind of I guess ideas of like what kind of a woman are you like what is what is motherliness what is maternal urge mm -hmm. um and then curse bread kind of exploring female desire so even if I kind of haven't explicitly set out to write feminist books you know it's just they kind of um grappling with feminist themes just because that's kind of I guess what I'm interested in is like these these experiences um yeah and I think I, as a writer I think I've been I've been really lucky um you know I've, I've kind of had a lot of rejection but I, I've never feel kind of like I've never felt held, held back or anything um yeah so you you my next question was kind of whether you had felt held back because 
the fact that well, you were a young woman when you first started writing and that kind of thing. And um, do you feel like you maybe haven't been held back because of your gender or? I don't think so. I, I, maybe I've just had a really good experience. <laughs> I don't know, I'm like I'm a middle-class white woman <laughs> in publishing is kind of um, so many of us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I guess maybe just occasionally felt a little bit um, underestimated of my depth, but then, you know, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a good place to come from to kind of feel a bit more determined and maybe like surprise people. Um, but I've had a really, I've had a really good experience in publishing. I think I've been, I've been really lucky. Yeah, I think the point of intersectionality is really important to kind of mention that in publishing, yeah, kind of your white middle-class woman is much I mean, to be taken seriously I guess then yeah I mean it's like it's, it's kind of yeah I mean so many so many writers like me <laughs> and you know it's kind of and there's so many editors as well and, and that's just kind of a fact of a fact of publishing really so what do you feel could be done to maybe improve the kind of diversity or that outlook on publishing it's hard to know, isn't it? Because I guess there's kind of there's kind of a lot of things and sort of schemes being done, um, but it's kind of what happens after that when you know the kind of I guess the flurry of um, feeling like oh we really need to change something. It feels like this is my moment of change, but it's like okay we're going to like change things. Um, but I guess it's like kind of more structural change and and kind of getting more editors and people in publishing from my more diverse backgrounds and kind of I think. I think that is really key, especially in publishing um, for authors and for publishing staff as well. It's just like people aren't paid enough. And so if you're kind of coming from um, a less privileged background, then, you know, how do you kind of make that work? I think this, again, it's like so intersectional, it's next is so much about, um, you know, wanting people to feel, you want, you want authors to be represented and you want different stories and voices to be represented but kind of need to put your money where your mouth is and pay people really well so that people stay <laughs> in these positions and like, I don't know, keep making the change at the high level, like the structural change. That's what I think. I think yeah, it kind of requires money and promotions <laughs> and like real sustained effort and not just occasional kind of um, yeah, like lip surface. Um, well, Sophie, I, I loved your dinner party. I thought the food was fantastic. I was particularly impressed by the apple spritz slushies i will be taking that recipe home <laughs> you probably, like, probably like freeze it into ice cubes and then like blend it as well. <laughs> yeah that's okay. i do have a blender that's a good idea yum um i always ask my guests one final question uh what are you doing on an everyday basis in a small way to become a better feminist uh, either for yourself or for others um, I think oh, my, my answer is like quite cheesy actually I think I would say just trying to be sort of a better friend or kind of like to show up for the women in my life and just sort of do those small small daily things which are hopefully like supportive and also like trying to yeah just trying to sort of um, be there for as many people as I can in a small way sorry that's kind of cheesy <laughs> lovely answer and it's it's just as important to kind of affect those in your very immediate kind of community because that's where real change happens so yeah starting sort of like very small but hopefully kind of yeah reverberating outwards <laughs> well thank you so much Sophie for joining us today thank you for having me